Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. jokingly said in the first service, I wish I could preach with Doran's voice. Like, it's like the soothing melody of Kevin Costner. You know? If you don't know who that is, just picture John Dutton and you'll get it figured out. Uh, good morning, church. Good morning. <clears throat> Excited to be here with you. My name is Corey, one of the pastors on staff. Good to be your teaching pastor for the next couple weeks. And so uh, excited to do that. If you've been with us, uh, you know that we have kicked off a series uh, called Doxology. We kicked it off last week with Pastor Jeff uh, took us through a night of worship. And so doxology is kind of a $100 word uh, that means to, to utter praise or to utter or to praise the word of God. And so some fancy words for you, maybe you're familiar with the word theology, means to study God or the study of God. And just to be clear, we're not like the Gnostics here in the scriptures. We don't think that a higher understanding of God leads to salvation. Rather, salvation only comes through Christ and through Christ alone. But we do want to study God's word, and we want to root our worship in, our, in God's word primarily. So as you're showing up here on a Sunday, you should experience God's word and what we call the liturgy as we walk through various songs in between those songs. And in our prayers, you will hear us sing the word of God and pray the word of God and read the word of God. And so we want our theology to be clear. Our understanding of God comes from his word. And in this, if I can word it like this, your theology, you still tracking? Okay, three of you. Your theology should land itself in your doxology. The, what you know about God does not lead to salvation, but what you know about God should inform the way you worship. And so whenever you take the word doxology and you break it down, doxa means to praise and logos means the word. The way that we praise, the way that we worship should come from the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. and should impact and affect our worship. That's what Doxology means. Are we together on that? All right. And so today we're asking and answering the question, what is prayer? Now, considering there are whole entire books written on what is prayer or on a prayer life or the secret to prayer, this will not be an exhaustive sermon by any stretch of the imagination, but over the course of about 42 minutes, I'm going to do the best that I can do in my limited ability to answer what is prayer. Prayer. And so the way by which I want to answer this question is through sitting in the Lord's Prayer, as you just heard read aloud. And so Daniel Aiken, someone who I love to read, a commentator I enjoy reading, says the Lord's Prayer is the model prayer from the model teacher. The model prayer from the model teacher. And what he means by that is that the Lord's Prayer then models for us how we ought to pray. Uh, the Lord's Prayer models for us, I would argue, how we ought to live. The Lord's Prayer models for us how we should enter into the Holy of Holies, the very throne room of grace itself, as we get to come and lay ourselves bare before the King of Kings. It's the Lord's Prayer that helps us align our reality with that reality. The Lord's Prayer 
does that. It realigns our position and our agenda before a living God. The Lord's Prayer is so much more uh, than your kids that go to private school have to memorize. It is more than just a task to be memorized. The Lord's Prayer is far greater than something to also be memorized for confirmation, depending on your denomination that you were raised in. The Lord's Prayer is even worth more than memorizing in freshman year German class. Anybody speak German in the room? Yeah, that's all I got last one too. Nine. Das Vater unser, unser Vater in Himmel, geheilig werde dein Name, dein Reich komme, dein Wille Sounds beautiful. It's more than worth memorizing in German. Yes? The Lord's Prayer, it aligns you. This is the big idea. The Lord's Prayer aligns us. It models for us how we ought to pray. It models for us how we ought to live. John Piper would say, if you're not praying, you're not living. The great Leonard Ravenhill, incredible preacher that he is, he would say, if you're not praying, you're playing. It is more than just memorization. The Lord's Prayer teaches you how to live. It realigns your posture, your identity, your presence before a living God. It is weighty. It is daunting. It is crushing. And by the end of our time together, your shoulders are going to feel the weight of it. It is heavy. It is cumbersome. It is far more than something worth being memorized. And so there's three ways by which I hope to take you there over our time together to answer this question, what is prayer? I have three prayer principles, two prayer practices, and one paradox. Think we can do it in 42 minutes? You guys that know me are like, let's just go ahead and order Domino's because we ain't leaving. (laughs) Three prayer principles, two prayer practices, one paradox for the note taker. There it is. Three prayer principles, two prayer practices, one paradox. Three, two, one. When you're ready, say go. Three prayer principles. Here we go. The Lord's Prayer uh, is found in Matthew 6. And so uh, Matthew 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recording of Jesus' teaching that we have uh, in the New Testament, kind of as as a total sum. And within that Sermon on the Mount, we have this moment that happens really only once that we know about in the New Testament, and the disciples asked Jesus something. Uh, he asked, they asked him specifically how to do something, and they asked him uh, how to pray. And so if you don't know much about the disciples, or maybe you've forgotten something about the disciples, uh, they were a little slow. Uh, they would ask Jesus questions that you would think that they would know the answers to, like asking him how to pray, like you've been with him for three years, like surely you've spent some time in prayer. With Jesus. And they would ask things though, like, hey, Jesus, by the way, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? You're like, come on, guys. Really, this is where we're at after two and a half years? It gives me hope in some ways, yes. Like, why do you have to leave? Where will you go? How do you know your father's house can hold us and sustain us? They would ask these questions. Unfortunately, these boys, like most men, were kind of slightly unaware, just a little aloof. Amen, women? Jesus' disciples asking. Thank you, Angie. Not to call you out by name, but I hear you. (laughs) Jesus' disciples ask him, how do we pray? And Jesus begins to teach them prayer principle one. Prayer is an expectation. Principle one, prayer is an expectation. I want this all on one slide. Verse five, six, and seven, the beginning of verses five, six, and seven reveals this expectation to us. Verse five says, and when you pray. And six says, and when you, or but when you pray. Verse seven would say, and when you pray. Here's the deal. Prayer is an expectation for the saint. 
Prayer is an expectation for the Christian. It is good and it is right to spend time in prayer. If you're not praying, you're not living. If you're not praying, you're playing. Uh, you're playing with your finances. You're playing with your family. Playing with your emotions. Playing with your job. I would ask, like, have you found some of those things to be a mess in your life? Are your finances a mess? Are you ridden with anxiety, struggling with depression? Can you not figure out your kiddos or your position? Do you just want to be heard for crying out loud? Just because you pray a prayer doesn't mean those things straighten themselves out. But I would ask, are you going to the Father? It's an expectation for us to go to the Father, to come and to sit in his presence, to sit with him for a little while. It's an expectation that has been given, which means then, principle number two, this is crazy. God is anticipating your prayer. I guess when you think about this with me for just a moment, if God, the Father, has an expectation for you to pray, that means that he's also sitting there in anticipation of you to pray. Dude, that's the stuff that I read, and it just makes me want to go, shut up. Like, for real? That's what I've been invited? Like, you're keeping Canis Majora burning bright, the earth on a specific axis, breath in my lungs, and you have the time to, to, to engage with me in some form of communication here, right? You get to come and like, just think about that. Like the author of life who's sustaining us right now has the, is willing to take time out of his day, which is far more busy than your day, Right? Take time out of his life and get on his knees next to you in your room. Like, that's what the author, that's what our father is offering to us. Doesn't it make, just go, shut up. Like, that's crazy town that we get invited in. That is an anticipation is also expected. As a father, it should not surprise me, right? More often than not, whenever my kids come home, I want to hear from them, right? I mean, there's some days now, there's some days, church, where we don't want to hear from them. But more often than not, when we're doing pretty well as dads, as moms, yes, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever, right? And they come in and they've been on a trip or they're coming back from school or something's bothering them. More often than not, I expect and anticipate them to come talk to me. And whenever they don't talk to me, then I think, well, what have I done wrong? Have I been too harsh? Have I been too direct? Have I not created a space for them that's safe? What have I done Wrong. More often than not, though, when they come, I want to hear from them. I anticipate their arrival. I expect them to come in and to tell me, why would we expect anything else from the perfect father? He knows your day, and listen, and he wants to hear about it. There's an eager anticipation. The third principle, then, is this. Consider your audience. Consider your audience. I was going to do a little wordplay here and say, don't pray for others, uh, but I know you heathens pretty well by now. And the moment you got mad at someone, you'd be like, well, the pastor said, you put it all on me, right? Lord knows there's some people you don't want to pray for. Don't put it on me, okay? Consider your audience, yes? Verse five, here's what we mean. I'm gonna start getting more into the text here. Verse five says, and when you pray, there's that anticipation, that expectation, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be, why do they pray? That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, this is red letter Jesus, they have received the reward. Verse six, but when you pray, anticipation, expectation, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so 
Jesus tells the disciples here when they ask, how do we pray? What do, what do we pray? They, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites, right? Whatever's going, over, going on over there, there's lots of ways you can pray. Don't pray like that. Don't be like them who are over there on the corner. Don't pray in a way that brings attention to yourself. Don't pray in a way that gets you noticed and you alone. Don't pray in that way for those hypocrites have received their reward. They get the masses that are coming to hear, them prayer, hear their prayers. That's what they get. That's where their reward stops. What is their reward? It's simply praying to an audience of one, and it's not even the people in front of them. Who are they praying to? They're just praying to themselves. They have their reward. Hypocrite in the original use of the word meant a play actor or to pretend. And so when you think about these play actors, what do they do? They aspire to be loved by the masses. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to put on a performance. And so what these play actors do, man, they would get out on the street corner and they'd put ash on them and they put on their finest garb and they kind of hail out these prayers and kind of draw a crowd to them. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrite. Now, we look at the church, we could say there's a lot of play actors in the church, yes? There's a lot of play actors in regards to church leadership, yeah? Just turn your TV on early in the morning. You'll find some play actors there, won't you? For the most part, buy a book with a Christian's face on it. You can find some play actors there, too. These hypocrites are out praying in the street on the corner. They're dressed for the show. High view of self, low view of God. What are they saying? Come see me. Come and hear me. Come and see what I got. Jesus looks at that and says, "Uh, uh, don't do that. You can do lots of other things. Not that. Don't pray with false spirituality. Don't pray to pine the rewards of the people that are sitting around you. They have the reward, and it is as good as it is ever going to get for them. You want a reward, rather. Do you want to be seen? Do you want to be heard? Do you have a desire to be noticed? then get alone. Come into the presence of one. Listen, church, there's a posture that leads to presence, and it's not out on the street corner. It's on your knees. When you pray, he says, go to the Father who's in secret. Now, just to be clear, okay, just to be clear. Somebody say, just to be clear. Thank you. Prayer is in no way limited to being only in your room alone by yourself. We did corporate prayer last week, didn't we? That is good and right. It's, it's prescribed in the text. It's good. Jesus is simply making a point here. Corporate prayer, though, is also, while it is good and right, it should never be a substitute for privatized prayer. Right? If you're only coming in here and only being filled in prayer in here, right, you're just a part of the audience. And so he's not saying corporate prayer is bad, but I would argue it's not. You should not be limited only to that. You need this private Prayer, you need to go and pray to your Father, and behold, check this out, when you go and pray to your Father, you get all, all that the hypocrite seeks is now yours. Think, think about this. I was going to save this till the end. This is a great gospel application, but I just can't do it. It's so incredible. Think about this. For just You might just get geeked out like me. I love this so much. I just love getting to be your pastor and get to preach God's word. I think it's so fun. Think about this for just a, a second, if you could, uh, like you have a choice. And so the... <laughs> The hypocrite, okay, think about this. The hypocrite wants this, like, earthly audience, okay? They want this earthly audience, this earthly accolade, right, this earthly reward, and they get it, and that's all they get. But whenever we respond in obedience in prayer, and we go and we get alone, and we spend time with the Father, like, what does the disciple get? What does the son get? What does the daughter get who comes before God, 
Did they get God? Like you get an audience, all right? You get an audience of one in your pursuit of his presence. You get the most incredible audience you could ever fathom in your life. Right? You get the king of kings, the Lord of hosts. You get God Almighty. You get our Father. And not only that, oh my gosh, not only that, as if, I mean, that's enough, yeah? Not only that, but as Mark led us through earlier, I already had in my notes, when you read the book of Revelation, it says that the prayer of the saints who have come before have been stored up in the kingdom of God as an act of worship. And not only that, it gets even better that it is a sweet aroming unto the Lord. That's in the book of Revelation. And not only that, it gets even better that while they're storing up these prayers, they're using them for worship among the multitude. I'm talking 10,000 times, 10,000 angelic hosts screaming, I mean, shaking the foundations of the kingdom. They're screaming so loud, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. As our prayers enter into that moment, the book of Revelation says it is our prayers that the angel will scoop out and dump on the earth as righteous judgment is poured out on the earth. It is our prayers, church. And so it's it's awesome about that is that you might be praying prayers right now, like prayers for your marriage, prayers for your parenting, prayers for your vocation, prayers for your finances, prayers for your mental health. And you you might be thinking, God, where are you? And yet we know based off God's word, because our doxology is rooted in our theology, based off his word, there is a day where every single one of your prayers will find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's worth preaching. Makes me want to go pray, right? Gosh, it's incredible. That is the word of God. And seeking the presence of one man, you get the kingdom of God. Gosh, you join the saints and angels as we sang. That makes me want to go pray. But why pray when you can stress, yeah? Prayer is very personal, and at the same time, there it is. Took you guys a second, didn't it? Prayer is very personal, and at the same time, listen, completely corporate. Your prayers are always corporate, even when you're by yourself. The overarching principle of that is prayer is about presence, not about what we get, but about presence. Second thing then is this. There's two prayer practices that I want to lay out before you. I'll have to set it up before you, and then I'll give them to you. Uh, two prayer practices. I was talking with uh, Joey Loftus, who's one of our uh, directors that oversees our student embassy. Shout out to the students that are in the room. What's up? Yeah, they did that in the last service too, and all the students thought the same thing. These guys are old <laughs> and lame. I was talking with Joey about this. He said, man, this is going to be great because there's some students that probably don't know how to pray. And I thought to myself, well, if the disciples asked, surely there's some adults that don't know how to pray as well. And they spent three years with the king. And so we need this just as much as any student does, yes? So what does it look like then to physically uh, pray? Let me set this up. Jesus has said, I, I, don't, I don't know what that is over there in the corner, but it's not that. So what is it? Verse seven. And when you pray... And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And now there's much to be unpacked. We'll stick to a few things. First and foremost, these Gentiles, these non-Jews is what that means, these play actors, these hypocrites that we're learning about here in the text, right? They would pray these big, bold prayers, big phrases is what they would do. Maybe you have someone like this in your life, right? Whenever they, they pray, it sounds like they're praying for 10,000 instead of just praying in the moment to be present with you and the Lord. They would also just babble. And Jesus is saying here, like the tower of Babel is gone. There's, there's no more room for disunity. There's only the spirit in God. There's only unity in the church. So don't, 
pray and babble, much like we mentioned those prosperity pastors on TV who act as if they're praying in tongues, but they're not. They're just clinging cymbals and noisy gongs. They bring no unity, do they? There's nothing in there. What do they do? They just want your money. And so we have these pastors that will push this agenda called a health and wealth gospel or a word of faith movement. And they'll say, man, if you pray the right prayers and you act the right way and you give the right amount of money and you're in good health and good wealth, well, then you can change the will of God and you can change his will to fit your will. That is not the gospel, church. That is a damning doctrine and it ruins the lives of many. It is a heinous teaching and so Jesus says, do not dabble. Do not, sorry, do, well, don't dabble in that either. Don't dabble in the babble, I guess. Don't dabble in the babble. Rather, sit with your father in private. Sit with him in private. You don't have to persuade him. Your words of flattery aren't gonna change his will. Just sit with him because he's a good and loving father. Listen here, this, this is a father who's gonna Listen. This is a father who's going to respond as a father should. And not at the will of a son, but in the best interest of a son. Listen, this ain't your father that raised you, church. Maybe you were raised with a good dad. He's still not this good. This isn't the father that raised me. For those of you who know my story, I had four different stepdads before I was in fourth grade. Uh, the man that stuck around was addicted to crack. A ton of a physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect. That ain't my dad, but this is. This is a father who invites you into his presence just because he wants time with you. Like, he just wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants what's best for you, right? Pray because he's told you to, right? There's a, I think that there's a, there's a tendency here to go, well, where is he? Like, I'm praying the same, I've been praying the same prayers for years. I've been praying the same prayers for a season. Where is this good God at? Where is this good father at that you mentioned here in the prayer? Why, why is he not, if he knows what I want, why doesn't he just give it to me? And I would say to that, man, on one hand, that is a genuine, real question. Yes and amen. But on the other hand, that question reveals a religious heart. Because what we're saying in that moment is, I have done what I'm supposed to do. Now, why don't you do what you're supposed to do? Why are you not responding to me, Lord? It's a genuine plea, perhaps, but it reveals something deeper. Are you with me? I remember whenever we were uh, raising money, the first capital campaign, and I was setting and I was venting to a good friend of mine, and, and I'm saying, I'm complaining. I'm like, bro, I just didn't think it'd be this hard. He's like, to raise a half a million dollars? And I was like, yeah, I just thought it'd be easy. You know how you get when you're kind of like insulting? I just thought it'd be easier to stop people respond. I just thought... And he let me talk for a minute, man, and then he just looked at me and said, how quickly we turn to a prosperity gospel, Corey. Because what you're saying is, I've done my job. Why aren't you doing yours? Right, this is a father who wants to be with you. Why do we pray prayers if he knows what we already need? Because he's invited us into it. Because the author of life is willing to get on his knees next to you. He's eagerly anticipating your arrival. He wants to sit with you. He wants to hear from you. He cares for you. He wants to listen. And I would say this, he will respond to you. And you can say, well, I've been praying, pastor, and I haven't heard anything. Then pray God's word. Just pray the word to him. Let him talk to you through the word. Right? Well, I've been praying, pastor, but he hasn't. I would say this, as you enter into prayer, instead of praying to get what you want, pray that he would align your will to his. And I guarantee you go into that prayer praying one thing, you'll come out praying some, something completely different. Right? We do not change the will of God. God does not respond to us in that way. He calls us 
to respond to him. The Gentiles, the hypocrites, thought that they could sway God with their words. There's a movement in our country that leads you to believe you can sway God with your words and it's most certainly not going to happen. He is God and we are not. So what does it look like for us to pray to him? Well, I think there's two prayer practices that you can institute based off this text. And it goes like this, a prayer of adoration and a prayer of petition. A prayer of adoration and a prayer of petition. Adoration means an acknowledgement. We're going to acknowledge who God is and what he has done already for us, recognizing the character of God, the attributes of God. This is a prayer of adoration. Sometimes we will kick off a a staff meeting or a worship planning meeting, and we'll just give prayers of adoration. We'll just sit and call out his character. We'll call out his nature, his attributes. It is good and right. We could have started the service today doing that as a call to worship. We can do it now. We'll weed out some of the new people. Let's get weird. Like, what are some of the attributes that come to mind whenever you think about God? Interact, break the fourth wall. Interact with me. Holy, sovereign, almighty, come on. Righteous, shout them out. Omnipotent, Omnipotent. big word, come on. Merciful, loving, we could do it. We could do that for an hour and a half and it would be sufficient. We could do it for an hour and a half and never run out of adjectives. Our prayer of adoration begins with This is who you are. And then you move to a prayer of petition. This is what I need. What's beautiful about that is whenever you start with his identity, you understand what he's already done. There's not a whole lot more to ask for when you understand what he's done for you. For those of you that are in a missional community, you do something called DNA, yes? And so in your DNA, there's four questions you ask. It's who is God? That's about his identity. And you ask, what does he do? And that's about his behaviors, And then you move to, well, who am I? And that's about identity. And then what do I do? That's about behaviors. We begin with identity. This is who you are before you ever make a plea for anything else because that's the gospel. Like religion teaches you what you do determines who you are. If you are good, then you can come to faith in Jesus or you can clean yourself up and then come to faith in Jesus. Or once you stop sinning, then you can come to Jesus. But the gospel is the opposite. It says, while they were yet still sinners, Christ died for them. That's identity given to you before you ever did anything. Does that make sense? So we start with adoration. That's the gospel. This is who you are. And then we move to petition. So let's walk through this together. It looks like this. Two prayer practices. Prayer of adoration first. Verse 9. Tristan, if you could just leave it up on the screen for me. I'm going to walk you straight through this. Verse 9 says, pray like this then, Jesus says, mind you. Our Father... In heaven, church, our Father, that is adoration, that is acknowledgement, that is identity. Do you see that? Our Father who is in heaven. Now, let me clear something up because I love you. Listen, because I love you. Just because you have a creator does not mean you have a father. Just because you've been created doesn't mean you have a father. The only way that we get to come to the Father is because the brother has brothered us. Like the only reason we get to come into this room, into this posture, the only reason the unholy gets to come before the holy is because Jesus paid our tuition. He bought us the ticket to that show. You with me? In light of the text here. And so this prayer doesn't save you. It will not save you. Some random prayer someone tells you to pray does not save you. Listen, Jesus saves you. He brothers you so you can get into the presence of the Father. And the prayer then, this prayer is a gift. And so the only reason we get to pray this is because of Christ. It's not a universal prayer. It is a prayer for the saints. It is a prayer for those who have been adopted into the kingdom of God. It is those who are called sons, as we talked about two weeks ago. This is our Father. Are we together? 
So our Father is what? Is a prayer of adoration. You are, God, our Father. Our Father over what? Our Father over the nations. Our Father over creation. Our Father over recreation. Our Father over redemption and reconciliation, restoration. You're our Father over the new heavens and the new earth that you will usher in. You're our Father. You tracking? Our Father. Do you see how rightly that aligns you? Just those few words. You are our Father. You are in control, which then means I am not. God, you belong on the throne. I do not. That's a prayer of adoration. If I'm honest with you now, as a man, I will typically begin with prayers of petition before adoration. Sometimes my prayer, the only adoration I give is in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's at the very end, isn't it? So prayer of adoration comes first. Secondly, then, we have prayers of petition, okay? Prayer of petition. There are, you could say, seven petitions that Jesus uses, which should not catch us by surprise, and they go like this. First off, hallowed be your name. Like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, petition one. What's he saying? Keep your name holy, Lord. You keep your name holy. Above all, God, your name. It's the only name. It is the name that is above every other name, God. It is the name that I cannot wait to bow a knee to upon your arrival. Your name, Lord. Keep your name holy by your good character. That's the first thing he asked for. Tell me that's not convicting. Tell me it's not convicting. Above all, Lord, your holiness be kept supremely and in the center. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Petition two and three, not my kingdom, God, your kingdom. Not my will, God, your will. That's an audacious prayer, church. Gosh, it is so, I was journaling this week. I'm like, I don't even know how to proceed from this place in this moment. Are you want camp? Can we camp out in here? We can't do it with all of them, but can we do this one? Let's camp out here. Think about this, dude. Like, think about how... The audacity of one to pray this prayer is what I want you to think about. Your kingdom come. That means you've got to dismantle my kingdom. I want your kingdom, not mine. I want your governance, not the governing authority of the United States. I want your authority, no other authority. I want your reign, no other reign. We couldn't even pick a speaker of the house for crying out loud. 15 votes later. He says, this is my house, is what he says. This is your house. This is your creation. You are fully in charge of all things. I want your kingdom over my kingdom. And then your will be done on earth as it is in the kingdom of God. My goodness. If you don't feel the weight, you need to get a different preacher up here, dude. Like, not my will, but your will on earth as it is in heaven. All they know in heaven is the will of God. That's all they have. It's the complete and total absence of anything that's deadly or sinful like it's literally all that they have my goodness all these books that are written want to know the will of God the secrets to the will of God how to find out the will of God just read first Thessalonians 4 God's will this is free is your sanctification what is the will of God that I would look more and more like Christ every day until I'm with him in glory do you know what he's got to dismantle in you to do that like the sin that I love, the identities that I crave to, the ugliest parts of myself, like who you are in secret is who you are. Like there's a lot about, you, about me that you don't know, a lot about you that I don't know, but the Father in secret knows. And he says he wants his will to be done. In order for his will to be done, he has to undo your will in every single way, church. Our will is the worst will to be lived out. 
In asking God to bring his will, you were simultaneously signing up to execute that will as his ambassador. So not only is it a prayer for his will to come, but you're saying the way by which you get your will done is through me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And at the same time, you have to continue with Isaiah, woe am I, Lord, woe is me, Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips. I cannot do this apart from you. To say not my will, but your will, your will be done, is to say, God, you're enough. On New Year's Eve, we pulled in to the parking lot and Emma, my 10-year-old, rode with me and and she said, "Uh, I want to go into missions. I said, don't tell David. (laughs) And... uh, she said, I want to go into missions. I thought to myself, my first thought was, girl, you've been talking about cutting hair since you could talk. You're going to be a hairstylist. And my second thought genuinely was, don't kill my baby. Because he could. And so whenever you pray, not my will, God, but your will, what you're saying is, you're enough. Like, no matter the circumstance, no matter my position in society, whether my marriage is thriving or it is abysmal, whether I am healthy, whether I am dying, whether my body is failing me and rejecting me, whether finances are good or finances are bad, in death, in life, in loss, in all things positive, you're enough. Do you feel the weight of the prayer yet? It is an audacious claim. In sickness, God, you're enough. In death, you're enough. In laughter, you are enough. When I am lost in the world, God, you're enough. For your, to pray the prayer, your will be done, is an outlandish prayer. Unless, in fact, our Father is who he says he is. Yeah. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the fourth petition. Just meet our practical needs. Just meet my practical needs, Lord. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's the fifth Petition, God, forgive us of our sins. This is the only way we come into this prayer. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. The sixth petition, then, keep us from the sins you have, in fact, saved us from. Verse 7, then, but deliver us from evil. Conquer the enemy forevermore. This is the, a way by which we are to approach prayer, God. This is also a way by which we're to approach life. Prayer of adoration before a prayer of petition and then he throws in 14 and 15 just to really put us in a corner here it says for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses i said that this week and realized the only way you can know the answer to this prayer is by getting in private with the lord you can put on a face you can put on a show you can be a hypocrite you can be a great play actor before people you've hoarded forgiveness towards in the name of jesus Right? And so he puts this in here as this reality of like, you cannot give something that you have not yet received. Right? If you've not truly experienced the power of the gospel, the change that comes from the gospel, if you've not looked at it and seen Jesus, the perfect brother, brothering us, walking out life in protection, going on to the cross, dying in your place as your substitute, resurrecting himself to new life, like if that's not a reality and a framework by which you walk out life, you will not give away forgiveness. And the Father says in secret, I know. Like you can put on whatever face you want to put on. You can be whatever type of play actor you want to be. But at the end of the day, he knows. That's also very telling for us, isn't it? You can only give forgiveness if you have, in fact, received forgiveness. And I would argue and I would employ, I would call you to respond to the gospel. 
Like you're not going to our father apart from asking for forgiveness from the brother. There's only one way to come into his presence and it is through Jesus Christ. Some of you may be set and you wonder, God, why are you not answering my prayers? Maybe it's because you're hoarding the forgiveness that he's given you. And in that moment, church, who's pretending to be the father? Is it you or are you acting as if he is who he says he is? It's heavy and it's daunting and it's weighty. And so I would say, church, respond to the gospel. The only one that you're hurting by not giving forgiveness is you. Because he, he says he will take that sin, he'll take that occasion, he'll take that thing that has come against you, and he'll throw it as far as the east is from the west. Simultaneously, I would say, there is a good father that is perfect and holy and righteous that is willing to forgive you, which means then you can also forgive yourself. Sometimes it's a lot harder to forgive ourselves than it is to forgive someone else, yes? Like, who's hurt you more than you? Who's let you down more than you? There's a good father who's willing. Third point, last point, if you could stand with me here. I want you to hear the gospel here. There's one paradox. I gave it away on the front end because I was too excited. But we, it's worth talking about twice. As the team is going to come forward, I'm going to share this, and then I'm going to set us up for communion. Communion, we're going to do it a little bit different today. The beautiful part of the, the gospel here, the paradox of the gospel is, is what I said earlier, but I want to reiterate now, especially some wounds are open in the room. The only difference between the hypocrite who stands on the corner and the hypocrite who kneels behind the be- beside the bed is Jesus. Like he has bought our, our right, he's bought our privilege, he's bought your opportunity to be able to come into this throne room and, and see God the Father for who he is. Like you get to look at God the Father. No one else in scriptures get to do that. But we get to come in and we get to see him through the power of the Holy Spirit and in concert with his word, we get to see him and we get to know him and we get to pray prayers of adoration that say you are good and you are holy and you are right and you are just, you are everything that I'm not. Father, forgive me. Respond to me, God. Just simply be who you are. In light of the wills, I wanna remind you that Jesus never calls you to pray a prayer that he himself was not willing to pray first. And so whenever Jesus is on his way to his cross, he is in the garden and he's praying and he says to the Father, to our Father, think about it. He says, God, if there's another way, let this cup pass for me. But if not, what? Your what? Your will be done. What is he saying in that moment? God, I know that separation is coming from you for the first time in time. And yet you're enough. You're sufficient. You're Good. God, I know that the only way that they can become sons and daughters, the only way that we can actually write a scripture that says, our father is if I go to the cross. And so he submits to the very will of God, knowing that it's going to end in his death. Oh, church, but it's also going to end in his resurrection. And so the reason that we get to stand here together and get to glorify who this God is and what this God has done is because there's a Jesus that stands between us. And that's who we worship. That's who we stand for. That's who we admire as the savior of our souls, church. And so today we're gonna get back to doing communion the way we did it pre-COVID. Sometimes we forget COVID took some things from us and we're gonna keep fighting to get them back up in here. And so what I want you to do is I wanna invite you in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come forward uh, for communion. If you don't feel comfortable doing what I'm gonna invite you to do, the communion cups we typically use are up here. Uh, But I'm gonna invite you to come forward and hospitality team is already up here. And they're gonna allow you to take a piece of bread which represents Christ's body broken for you. And you're allowed to, and then take it and dip it into the cup. 
symbolizing Christ's blood broken or spilled uh, for you. This is what we did pre-COVID, and I was just reminded this week that, of how beautiful it is because it actually calls you to respond to the gospel. It's easy to kind of sit there and sway or put a hand in the air for me to invite you into communion week in and week out. But there's something beautiful about as a family, us standing together in adoration of this Father and then actually moving forward, like moving towards the gospel. And as we have heard the gospel, it forms and reforms of it in this something beautiful, something all anew, something all fresh upon us. And so as you come forward as a family, let me first read that. Before you come over as a family, let me read this for you. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given it things, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So churches, we stand together and we move forward together and we proclaim the gospel together. For those of you that are saints, this is a meal that is for you. Feel free to come forward when you're ready.